As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. All right, Luke, so the lead story of the week the biggest story of the week, if you will, is a look back on the, the top 25 poll that we discussed on last week's show. And, you know, there's an ensuing debate about who should be on the list. And I don't I guess they ever saw who shouldn't, but I saw a lot of who should. And, and there was only 25 spots. And again, it was a panel discussion or a panel vote with 12 highly respected members of the racing community and several different capacities but there was a lot of discussion about it on our Facebook page and online. Yeah, I guess this week's lead story is self-induced. <laughs> We're talking about the stuff that we drummed up last week. But no, I was actually, the vengeance in the comments on social media wasn't quite as in-depth as I thought. Like, I really thought that we would get a lot more criticism. I do still think that a lot of the people that post, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter, about in response to some of the posts that we make on social media are responding to the post without ever listening to the show, which is frustrating, I guess. <laughs> it's difficult to explain in 60 characters or less what takes us an hour to talk about. So there's only so much that you can do. But my take, and this 
like we've had conversations along these lines before and you mentioned it in the open Jed the idea that yeah everybody's got somebody that they think belongs on the list and when you look at because Mark had posted not only the final top 25 but basically the others receiving votes and it's 70 some odd racers that got a vote somewhere along the way right is it surprising mm -hmm. that some names don't appear at all like is it surprising to me that J.R. Loebner isn't on the list at all, or Randy Schuer, or Jeremy McKaggy, or go on down the line. Like, you could probably list a hundred people that you would think, man, they, I'm surprised that nobody even mentioned them, right? Because they're awesome racers. Right. But am I surprised that those guys, and I don't mean to single them out, didn't make the top 25? Like, no, not particularly. Like, they weren't in my top 25, obviously. They didn't get a vote. But I think it's easier to, my point is this, and this is a long way to get to this, I think it's easier to stand up on your milk crate and stomp up and down and say, so-and-so deserved to be in that poll, you know, deserve to be a part of that. They're a really good racer. Okay. I think it's way easier to do that than it is to say, but they need to be in place of X, Peeps Pennington or, or Johnny Zell or whoever. Like, that's the hard part. So to all of you out there that are barnstorming for, that's not the word I was looking for, whatever it is, uh, politicking campaigning for that guy that didn't make the list that's not what i want i want you to go make a list and you figure out who to leave off because that's way harder than saying so and so should be in yeah very good point and, and like you said i mean there's some all-stars and that were not on the list and lots um, of all-stars that are on the list yeah and i you know, I saw people saying, well, I could put together a list of 25 that would wear those guys out. Well, yeah, you can, because this is 2018, and in bracket racing, there are literally thousands of guys capable of coming up and making a run that'll beat anybody. So this wasn't, we think our list is better than anybody else's, or the panel thinks their list is. It's just a top 25 vote, who you'd want to, to be on your team tomorrow at a bracket race with all things being equal and normal so you know and we talked about it luke off the air last week uh, jeff verdi wasn't on the list i mean the guy did something that will probably never be done again and i don't want to discount anybody's abilities but it'll probably never be done again when in the, the million on both the east and west coast in the same year i agree a guy might win them back to back at some point again, somehow, some way. Win them in the same year? I don't know. I just don't. I don't know because it's it's very difficult to do geographically. Number one, and number two, it's very difficult to do with a level of talent and race cars there. So, uh, yeah, so long on something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we mentioned this maybe on last week's show. I think there was what seventy eight racers that that received votes, and if you just had a race of those seventy eight. Guys and gals, were there any women on there? That was another thing that we didn't bring up last week. Like that was, I don't know, shocking because I can't think of a woman in today's climate that really stands out. But like it's you know the top twenty-five good, and I don't think that's anything against women in general. Like there's just fewer of them in the sport, and there's no one at this point that is just super dominant, with the possible exception of Mia Tedesco. Like I'm surprised that she, I don't think she appeared on the list, did she? I don't think so. I'm surprised she didn't get a vote somewhere along the line. Like, I think she's deserving. And if you think real hard, like, Cassie Pennington's probably deserving. Maybe Brittany Zell. Like, there's plenty of competent, capable, competent's a bad word, capable female racers. But at this point, like, I don't, 
it wasn't like a, a male only list, but it kind of ended up that way. And I, I just think yeah. we've taught, we've had this conversation at some point before. I feel like I'm digging myself a little bit of a hole here, but I guess it wasn't shocking to me that we didn't have a female in the top 25, but it was surprising that we didn't have one appear on the list. Yeah, no surprise. And everybody on that top 25 list, anybody's top 25 list has had their tail whipped by a female racer. Plenty, probably more than they care to, to mention. But this wasn't a who do you think will beat who. It was who do you want with you when you go to the racetrack tomorrow, your top 25. So it was as simple as that. And, you know, like uh, uh, Mark mentioned in a production meeting that the Pascals didn't get mentioned. And those guys just destroy them over here on the East Coast and in the North Carolina area. So we could sit here and talk about who didn't get on over and over and over and over. But the reality is it was just a, a simple vote trying to see who your top 25 would be. And, and that's all it is. And we encourage anybody to post their list. A couple of people posted their list. So post yours and let's get some more discussion and debate if you want to. The production meeting? That's a really fantastic way to describe this very unorganized Google sheet that we pass back and forth week after week. That's I like that. I'll stick with that, Big Jed. The production that, meeting. Mark brought that well, up. Well, that's what it was. It might not have been a good one, but that's what it was. Fantastic. I, I like that. <laughs> the point to to your point, I, there was one you you brought up, Verdi, and some of the things that we kind of overlooked last week. I think it was worth mentioning. I went through my top twenty five list and and rattled off everybody that I had on my list that didn't make the cut, but I missed one. I think because his brother was on the list and I just didn't put two and two together. Michael Pennington was on my top 25 and he just missed. I think he ended up 26th, but that was one that I had solidly in the field that I, I think particularly after last season is very deserving that just barely missed the cut as the quote unquote top 25. My point that I was trying to get to earlier and I got off track myself was that if you had a race that was only open to the 78 uh, individuals that were listed that received votes from our panel in last week's top 25. If you ran that race 50 times, I have no doubt that you would have 45 different winners because that's the level yeah. of parity that to what you were speaking of earlier. And that's not really the, like anybody's capable of beating anybody. And you could extend that way beyond the quote unquote top 78 or whatever we ended up with. But the point of the poll, or the way we were trying to get across, is if you ran that race 50 times, there are people that would win more rounds than everybody else. And that's yeah. what we tried to determine. And you can debate that all day long, right or wrong, and you would never know the answer unless you went and did it, which is probably physically impossible to get those 78 people in the same spot 50 yeah, times Britt, in a row. No. Uh, Britt and Gillen, just don't even try it if you're looking. <laughs> <laughs> we know how you guys are. <laughs> I, I did. We obviously we enjoyed the format. I think there's some validity to it. We got a lot of feedback on it. Got got you guys talking, which is part of what we were trying to do. What do you think, Big Jed? Is there, is there a is there a future here? Can we go a couple of different directions with this top twenty five idea? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, we had a couple of folks campaigning for a, a bottom bulb top twenty five, which um, I'm all for. You and I discussed that actually after we got off air last week and thought, let's see how this goes. And if it goes well, we may want to do that. I'm not sure it went well, but it went well enough that I, I think a top 25 bottom bulb list is in order. And we are going to, uh, in our next production meeting or whatever we do, we're going to put together a panel 
to vote on that again and uh, that'll be coming up in a future episode so you guys that are loving the list and loving to chime in and give your opinion be ready because we're going to do bottom bulb top 25 next coming up in a very soon very future very near future episode yeah when we correspond with our panel and create our production meeting so yeah look forward to that that's that's good stuff there big jeff yeah it is and as we do every week, let's kick off the remainder of the show by telling everybody who's hot in the world of sportsman drag racing. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Seabird Performance, Who's Hot? Seabird Performance specializes in performance engine building for every aspect of sportsman drag racing. That's bracket racing, NHRA sportsman categories, heads-up categories, nitrous, turbo, and blower. Guys, if you are looking to have some work done, make sure that you mention the podcast and you will receive a 10% discount off of your labor through February the 1st. Learn more about the guys at Seabrook Performance and what they can do for you by calling 785-286-6813. And don't forget to mention the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Big Jed. Every, uh, or not every week, but throughout the off season, one of our goals has been to get each of the 2017 NHRA world champions on the show. About mid-season last year, it felt like we had Jeffrey Barker on. He was not yet officially the world champion, but we felt like it was a foregone conclusion at that point. Uh, we've had Austin Williams on. We've had Justin Lamb on. While we don't spend a lot of time on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast discussing Competition Eliminator, it is technically a sportsman class, and last year's Competition Eliminator world champion was the definition of a sportsman racer, a guy that a lot of us look up to. And this week's Who's Hot... Not based on any performance within the last week, but based on, based upon his 2017 performance and honestly a lifetime achievement award. It's going to be David Rampy. And we are honored to have David on as our guest today, coming up just a little bit later in the show. But for those of you not familiar, A, crawl out from under the rock that you've been living under. <laughs> David Rampy is a five time NHRA world champion. He is also a three time IHRA world champion, winner of 95 plus NHRA national events to date. And the man who just last season not only won the competition eliminator world championship for again his fifth NHRA title, but did so in the grandest fashion imaginable. He accumulated a perfect points earning season in NHRA competition. You only get to claim five points meets. He won five points meets. You only get to claim three national events. He won three national events. Big Jed, it is hard to beat perfect. Mm. And uh, that's what we're going to have on the show today. I'm going to take a quick break before we catch up with David Rampey, winner of this week's Seabird Performance, Who's Hot? All right, guys, as we discussed, uh, David Rampey is going to be joining us. Now, David Rampey didn't need another title to cement his place as one of the sport's all-time greats, but he's now a five-time NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series national champion. He's driving his Skillman Auto back 32 Bantam Roadster. Rampey won all eight of the races that counted for his final score, including national events in Gainesville, Chicago, and Denver. He's a national event winner in five different classes, and Rampy has won 96 NHRA national event titles, making him the fifth winningest driver in NHRA history, and it is an absolute honor 
to have the legend David Rampey on the phone. David, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, you're welcome, guys. I appreciate you asking me to be on. Yes, sir. It's our pleasure. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think Jed said it best, an honor to have you on the show with us, David. Uh, appreciate you coming right. on. And congratulations. I know it's been a couple of months past, but congratulations on another heck of a season in 2017 and that fifth world championship. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it, guys. And we, we certainly couldn't do it without a lot of great people behind us. That's for sure. No doubt. David, before we get started with the questions, I, I'd like to know where in, where in the world are you tonight? Just so everybody knows. I'm, at, I'm sitting at the house. <laughs> <laughs> Which is? Piedmont, Alabama. There you go. That's what I wanted to hear, David. Piedmont, there Alabama. Beautiful, beautiful Piedmont. There so, you go. David, let's start by recapping the 2017 season. You know, like we said, it's not like you had anything to prove to anybody, but this was a season for the ages. I mean, just after uh, Doug Dahl ran the table with the perfect score in comp eliminator last year, you did the exact same thing. And tell us a little bit about that championship season where you really just had a dominant performance. Well, guys, I really started off the year not planning on running for the championship, which uh, Luke can attest to this. A lot of times we uh, we start out the season saying we're not running for the championship this year. We're just going to go out and race and have some fun, run a lot of national events. Well, I go down to Gainesville, Florida to the points meet, which is kind of a warm-up for us. It's our first race of the year usually, and it's the weekend before the Gators. And we go down there, and we win the points meet uh, at Gainesville. And then the next weekend, we win the Gator Nationals. So, you know, we've got two two wins in a row. And then a couple weeks later is the race in Valdosta, Georgia. And it's, you know, it's not that far from home. And so we think, well, we'll shoot off down there. And just for the fun of it, we'll, we'll run that points meet, you know, and we win it. And it's kind of like, well, now what do we do? So, you know, we started kind of thinking a little bit harder about, well, I didn't want to run for the championship, but we've got such a good start. Let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of keep easing forward, not making any rash decisions or anything to do anything, you know, out of the ordinary. And things just kept falling into place, you know. And so kind of, you know, it's like, well, here we go. So, you know, then we decided at that point, you know, hey, we got to run for the championship then. One thing leads to another, obviously. And when you look back now, and we sit here and talk, it's a dominant season. It's five divisional wins. It's three national event wins. It's a perfect score in competition eliminators. So when you look at that in, in retrospect, you would think, well, you were, you were perfect. Like you should have had that wrapped up by August. That's not the way yeah. this went down at all. You really had to sweat this out pretty late in the season with, with Frank Aragona making a heck of a run at you. Oh, absolutely. And I knew all along I mean, in my mind that Frank was, I mean, there were some other guys too, but I thought, Frankie had the best opportunity. I felt like he had the best car out there and, and just the best opportunity to do it. And, you know, it just really, it really, you, you know, was looking like it was just, we was just going to have to almost win out. And when he went to Pennsylvania to the national event at Reading, you know, I, I penciled him in to win the race. And believe it or not, you know, as we sometimes do, we, we just make a, a big mistake, you know. And I, when he, he red lighted first round, and I thought, well, that kind of opened the door a little bit, you know, so maybe we aren't going to have to be perfect to win it, you know. But, you know, as it turned out, when we won the Reynolds points meet, that, that kind of pretty much sealed it up right there. And 
we were going to Vegas anyway, so we ran the points meet there and was able to win it, which made the season the perfect season. Yeah, the Vegas win was obviously icing on the cake in terms of the championship, right. but it did solidify that elusive perfect season, and that's got to be pretty special in and of itself. I wanted to talk a, a little bit, David, about the, I don't know, the I guess the progression of your career behind the wheel. You've been doing this at a high level and essentially for a living for a long time and run just about every category within NHRA competition brackets uh, on down the line, but your career from Superstock to the 90 classes back in the IHRA days and then into NHRA with success in all of them, 1090, 998, 90, into Competition Eliminator, ultimately into Pro Stock for a time and then back to Comp and, and another class, I guess, over the last, what, two decades, whether it be Stock or Superstock for the most part. All of that changing things up, so to speak, or, or taking different opportunities to drive different cars or run different classes. Has that been more out of necessity over the years? Is that more of a, like needing a new challenge along the way? And I guess I'm, I'm asking way too many questions at once, but is there a class out of all of that that you enjoy competing in the most? Well, absolutely. I, I comp would have to definitely be my favorite class. And, and kind of because, and then, Chase, my son, had this conversation one day. I said, look, I'm not any better than anybody else probably at racing. I said, I'm ne I don't go out what little I do bracket race. I don't go out and dominate there. I mean, you know, they beat me up just like they, you know, they do all of us. And I said, but, you know, it's kind of like you got to find a niche. You got to find something that, you know, maybe everybody else is not that good at. And I'm not taking away from the comp class, but you know, we've, we've had good equipment there and was a pretty decent driver where some of those guys work harder at having a fast car. And it kind of just fit us better, I think, to a degree. And so comp, you know, has kind of been my favorite class, you know, you know, as a whole. And some of the other classes I just feel are, are a little harder. So, you know, we put a little more effort into the comp deal maybe than, you know, we probably – should put a little more effort into some of the other, but it just seems like we always wind up back putting all the effort to the comp deal. Speaking of comp eliminator, just for our average listener, obviously somewhat probably more on the periphery, familiar with comp, a lot completely understand how it works. A lot of them see someone like yourself dominate and think, well, you just found that niche as you should, as you put it. What is one thing, and I'm sure there are hundreds what is one thing that really stands out about Competition Eliminator that, in your mind, makes it difficult that the average racer looking at it like wouldn't understand or wouldn't see on the periphery? Because there's a lot to that class. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, you got to have a fast race car, and and you know, I think you got to be a, a good driver, and you got to kind of play the ladder too a little bit. I'm not much of a ladder player when it comes to stock, super stock. I just go out, run my car, and I don't play the ladder like you know some of the guys do but in comp you just about got to play the ladder and you know to try to fall into that right spot where you know and it's hard to explain it but you know sometimes you, it's just falling into the right spot on the ladder it just usually has a tendency to make it a little bit easier to win first round and and then move on without going too fast which i know people have a hard time with some of that stuff but you know it, it's complicated eliminators what a lot of people say about it and like i said it, it is there's more to just going out running having a real fast car and running the thing out and and uh just 
doing whatever. It's just a a good bit of, I guess you call it like playing chess a little bit. You know, you got to kind of plan, kind of plan your moves a little bit there. You talk about playing the ladder, so to speak. And in hindsight, I think that's always very clear and be like, well, that was the optimum place to be. How much does it, I mean, how much can you really control pre-race? Well, you know, you can't control what all those other guys are doing. You just kind of got to control what you're doing. And I, us running this, you know, a lot of people say, well, how can you keep running the same combination? And we've been very fortunate to have Patterson and Lee building our engines and, and doing a good job with providing us with horsepower and, you know, just maybe a tire combination, you know, something to make the car a little faster and just keep, you know, keep running that same class. But we know our combination so well, it's kind of like, it's like you, you can hold 500s and you know how to get rid of that 500s. Well, it's kind of like me. I know what it, most of the time what it's kind of taking to get in this number eight hole, and so we're pretty good at shutting off at the right point to get into that hole, you know. Yeah, I'd say you are. <laughs> David, David, since you left Pro Stock many years ago, have you ever desired to get back into that category? And if you did, do you still have those desires, or has that passed? No, I, I kind of feel like that, you know, that, that ship sailed, as you say, and and I believe me, as uh, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and you know, back a few several years ago, I think that all sportsman racers that was the ultimate goal goal to be able to eventually move to pro stock. And now it just don't seem like that. You know, if you ask the average guy, it doesn't seem like that's the ultimate goal to me. And you know, I, I still like it, but somehow or another, it, it's uh, I don't know. It's just not the same to me anymore, and I, I don't know why or what. But but to answer your question, no, I really doesn't have any desire to. to you know, I, like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Was very thankful for the opportunity, but you know, I, I don't have any desire to do it again. To your point, and I I agree with you, David. Like it doesn't feel that the atmosphere around pro stock and maybe the professional categories in general doesn't have that allure that 20 years ago it seemed like everybody was trying to ultimately make that progression. It doesn't really feel that way now. But would you attribute that more to it just doesn't seem attainable? Not that pro stock was ever cheap to get involved in. But there was a time when, say, Bob Glidden was dominating that, like, you just looked at it and said, if you work hard enough and you're smart enough, you could get there. And today, that's not really the case. Right. Or would you attribute more of it to, like, I feel like the sportsman categories in general are a little bit higher profile now, maybe, than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Like, it just seems like there's a lot more of us that are content where we're at and don't really want more. And maybe it's a combination of both. Right. It, it very well could be. I don't know. I think, like you said, it's uh, the price of what it costs to do pro stock now. You know, I mean, all classes, have, you know, it's really went up as far as what it, what it costs. But, but pro stock just seems like it's just out of control as far as what it would cost to do it. And, and it just it seems like you got a couple teams that kind of dominate and, and, you know, everybody else is just kind of there filling in, you know. Uh, I got an odd follow-up question that I'm not real sure how to ask. If you've been at this... <laughs> At a high level, one of the, the the people that we've all looked up to coming up in this sport, and speaking for everybody in my generation, you've been at this for a high level for a long time. How much longer are you going to do this? I know for the last several years I've been saying, <laughs> well, not long, not long. And, of course, obviously, obviously, 
it's definitely not going to be as long as it once was, but <laughs> I cannot describe it. I mean, I, it, it gets me kind of all whatever when I start talking about it. It's you've done this so long and you've, you love the sport and you love doing it. And it's like, you just, every time you're ready to walk away, you just can't walk away. I've done this, uh, some, I've had some people get mad at me about to say this. And I said, we're no different than drug addicts. And I said, uh, yeah, we may be, uh, we're not Ill- doing things illegal. We're not doing a lot of, you know, a lot of things that a drug addict would do. But I said, we have that desire to race that's so bad that sometimes we may make financial decisions that we probably should make just to be able to go racing. And I, you know, and it's just so hard to just walk away from it because you just, you enjoy it and uh, the competition. I think that's a lot of it. I've got to the point now that I hate time trials. I'm going to make them because I feel it's a necessity because, you, you know, you got to make them because if you don't, then you think, well, golly, I ain't even putting forth any effort. But I, I hate them. I just want to go race. I don't even want to do the time trials, you know. <laughs> and I guess like you, although not nearly as long and not nearly as successful, I've got some insight to what it takes to make a living behind the wheel of a of a sportsman race car. And it's not as glamorous as most people make it out to be. I mean, granted, it is it is a, a dream way to make a living. It's what I grew up dreaming of, and, and I know a lot of people are the same way. But to actually do it, like, there's parts of it that ain't that fun. But uh, obviously, it's your passion like it is mine. It keeps you going. If there's one thing that you could pinpoint, what keeps driving you to earn your living within this sport? Well, for one thing, I don't know anything else. So, you know, it kind of it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm tied to it because I don't have I don't have an, uh, uh, something that I could just roll over to, you know, and start start doing that. So that's one thing that keeps driving. You know, it's like, well, I don't know anything else to do. But uh, you know, like you said, just just you, you know, you love to win and you hate to lose, and so it just I just you go out and you lose this weekend, just get beat up. And it's like, you know, Monday morning, you're sitting there saying, I can't wait to go again, though. I can't wait to go this weekend. And it's just, it's hard to explain what what it is that drives us to do that. And and you just mentioned it, David, that how much you you just love racing, you love to compete. And I believe that because I've seen you out at the bracket races more over the last uh, year or two years than I've seen you in quite some time. And one of my favorite moments of 2017 was getting to square up with you and you was driving a Chevette no less. So uh, that was a very special, (laughs) very special moment for me, but you've been going to the races quite a bit with Chase. How much fun has it been getting back to some of those bracket racing routes with your son? Well, it it is a lot of fun in a way. And I mean, it's a double-edged sword to a degree. It's a lot of fun and I tell him about stories about, you know, how we race here on Friday night and we'd go there on Saturday and all those things, you know, and the bad part about it is, is, is like, you know, we're out late at night and all that. I tell Chase, man, I thought I was past all this, you know, I thought I, thought <laughs> I was uh, to the point that I didn't do this anymore. I enjoy racing with Chase. Uh, it's a lot of fun and, uh, it's an opportunity for us to spend time together. And that, to me, that is, uh, that's important, you know, is for us to spend time together. And I tell Kelly, I get to spend more time with him than she does, but 
because of the racing, you know, being at the shop when he's not working and things like that. And I said, so, you know, that's very important to me just to be able to spend time with it. What about, or maybe how many times has a racer come to you at the the good time or at uh, Sand Mountain, wherever you guys are frequent down there, after maybe defeating you in competition and asked you to sign their time slip? I'd imagine that's happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it has, you know, and at the moment when they asked you, you know, it's kind of, come on, man, but but I always do it and with a smile and, you know, hey, if I made your day, then that's great. <laughs> <laughs> David, I, told him, I said, you won't be the first person I've made your day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been 10 years ago now, maybe more, that Lose Bobby Bennett at Competition Plus put together a story. And it was really the first time that I had read the story, but it was, or, or had heard the story even, not coming from the Southeast where I grew up, but talking right. about your relationship with Don Young and your history right. together and, and his impact on your racing career. For some of our younger listeners that may not be familiar with this, Google that story. That's like Google David Rampey, Don Young, and read that because it's really touching and it's really interesting and it's a story that i didn't even know existed but this was basically i guess for lack of a better term your racing partner and and mentor of sorts coming up in the sport and he was killed in an on-track accident at uh, at bristol 1985 ihra event you guys were competing where if i understood it right traveling together at the time right i don't know the the best way to frame this question but Tell us a little bit about the man that was Don Young, how he impacted your career, and, and if you're comfortable with it, even going back to, to that faithful day. Like a lot of us, we have the desire to do, to race, but that's about all we had was a desire. We didn't have a clue what we were doing back <laughs> when we started, you know, and, and I was the same way. You know, only thing I knew is what little I'd read in magazines and stuff, and one weekend we were at, uh, Jed will know this place, we were at the Heart of Dixie. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, (laughs) Sylacauga, Alabama. And I happened to be there, and uh, those guys were, I was from Alabama, those guys were from Georgia, and they came rolling in, you know, and uh, Don wound up parking beside me. Well, I broke a transmission that weekend in my car, or that day, and he was just the kind of guy that just came over and started talking to me, and he says, well, you know, I build transmissions. He said, I'll be glad to help you with it, and you know, we kind of introduced and talked about it. And anyway, that just one thing led from that to just on and on and on. And Don was a guy that was ahead of his time. I mean, he was like, I mean, he was kind of a guru. He could do, he could do anything. You know, he, he could build a motor, he could build transmission, you know, he could build a race car. He could just do about anything. And he just, that was back when bracket racing was kind of really getting started. And he just, he understood bracket racing. And, you know, he understood driving, hitting a tree, driving the finish line, sandbagging, whatever it be, he understood it, you know. And he just kind of took me under his wing. And not only did he teach me all those things but about racing, but he also could do all those things. So he would help me in return. I would try to help him a little. And it was a lot, so much cheaper for me to race because of him helping do my engine and, or whatever it might be. We just became, you know, great friends, and and we just got to the point there when it was running IHRA that we traveled together a lot. I had a ramp truck, and he had a enclosed trailer. So if 
usually it was just me and him going. So whatever race IHRA raced them, we, you know, we would just, I would pull his trailer with my ramp truck and, and, you know, we would go to the races. So we was running the IHRA for, you know, the points and everything. And, and so we just, we just did a lot of traveling together because it made sense to cut out on fuel and, and then plus the driving, we, you know, shared the driving and all that. And anyway, it, it kind of, we had went to Bristol that weekend and, and, uh, it's a funny thing. I can't really explain it, but we had talked about something. You know, what if something ever happened to one of us, you know? And I, I have no idea why we had ever had that conversation, you know? And, but anyway, we were there at Bristol and, and the, the day, uh, that Sunday, we were both still in and everything. And so actually that Sunday, I don't really remember how to schedule work, but we actually, of course, she carried your sandwich stuff or whatever, you know, and we had a little time. We stopped. We eat lunch together there, and usually we're always going our separate ways, so we, you know, never eat together or whatever, but we eat lunch together there, and I actually was, was still in, too, so I somehow I think I was in the staging lanes, and I ran up to, to watch him run, and when he crashed, it was like, I just, it's like it just came over me like, this is it. This is what we've talked about, you know, and I, I just had a, a weird feeling, you know, and then, of course, I, I jumped uh, on something or in, oh, there was a policeman or something there. I jumped in the car with him and, and took off down there. And then when I got down there, then I, it was not good. And, of course, I just turned around and came back. But it's just, I don't know, it was just a, a weird thing. And then back when it happened, it was just like, you know, very strange. And, of course, then, the, you know, then you start, he had a wife and two kids. And, you know, it's a very difficult thing and then I start thinking about oh no you got to go home and face his wife and all that and just the whole emotions of everything this is the guy I've traveled with this is we've done everything together and you know now what you know and just all the above was just a a lot of emotion yeah I can only imagine and just to reinforce your earlier statements about how talented and, and ahead of his time he was that was what was that race September at that time? Yes. Uh-huh. And, and to that point, he had dominated the season to the extent that he ended up winning the world championship. Is I think the only racer to this right. day to be honored with that posthumously. I think is the word after death. I believe you won the world championship the same year. Did you not? Yeah, like we we both won the championship that year, and uh, that was. Uh, course special it's special deal but it it wasn't special because he wasn't there to celebrate with us yet yeah yeah Yeah. special and difficult at the same time i'm sure right exactly david speaking of relationships barry davis and and you have traveled many a mile together for quite (laughs) a long time i think he's been with me 20 years 20 okay that's uh 20 years i think and i mean that's solid too 20 years that's uh you guys yeah absolutely together (laughs) How have you and Barry maintained such a strong relationship with all that goes into what is required of a, a, a crew chief and a, and a driver relationship? And what has Barry meant to your success? Well, uh, I meant to tell you the, the part about my success. He's been a huge asset, but no doubt about it. Barry's just, uh, he's such an easygoing person and, uh, He's the kind of guy that he knows what needs to be done. He's going to do it. You don't have to tell him what to do. He knows what needs to be done. He does it. He don't 
argue about anything or if there's something that you want him to do, he'll jump right on it, do it, and, and, and never argues about it. He's just he's going to be there day in and day out, whatever needs to be done. He's the guy that's going gonna to be there doing it till till it's done. And uh, he uh, he just I mean he's just such a great he's a great person I mean it really is and and like I said I I've kind of got a you know I've got a pretty can be a little bit of a hot head or can be a little bit overbearing at times I guess you'd say or whatever I what I believe's right then I kind of stand firm on that and Barry's just he's like well, okay then if that's what you think then I'm good with that <laughs> he just he's you know he he believes in me and I believe in him I, I guess that's probably the best way to put it he he just believes that whatever I think I mean every now and then he'll say you know hey I'm, well, you might well think about that a little bit or something like that but majority of the time he's just like okay then if that's what you think then that's, that's the way we're going then <laughs> but uh, I've got go ahead I was just going to say he's a talented racer in his own right. And exactly. So I'm sure when he speaks, it's not just words coming out of his mouth. I'm sure that, you know, he, he has some knowledge and, and is something that, that you listen to. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, I mean, he, he understands racing. So therefore, not only is it crew chief, but like you say, he understands things about it, you know, and, and it's things that you can, you know, you can sit down and talk about and, uh, and like I said, he understands, and so you can kind of bounce sure. things off each other. But to tell you how important I think he is, I told him, I said, now, I intend on racing, you know, whatever, but, but hey, if you decide you're done, and if you're done, then I'm done. No. <laughs> so I said, I'm not going through trying to get somebody else to help or do this. I said, I'm not doing it. And so if you're done, I'm done. <laughs> David, I'm sure over the years you have answered this question a thousand times, but I'm going to ask it one more time because I know that there are several listening. And from the time that you started earning a living behind the wheel of a sports and drag racing vehicle to today, obviously a lot has changed. But as I said, I know that there are several youngsters listening that strive to one day be David Rampey. What advice could you offer for an aspiring young racer today that just has their sights set on racing at a high level and or going so far as to earn their living driving race cars? Well, I mean, it is a difficult question, and, and I, I struggle to answer that a lot, you know. But it's, I don't know. I, like I said, it's really hard to, you know. I, I guess the thing is, uh, one thing you got to, eat, sleep, and breathe it, you're going to be good because it just, it takes that because everybody's putting forth a, a, a huge effort. So if they're doing it, then you better be doing it too. And I will say this, and I'm not saying this to be negative, but it's not as easy to do it now as it used to be. It's just not. And I mean, there's, you, you, you have a general idea of what I'm talking about. I know, or you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's no, and just, you're echoing some of Dan Fletcher's comments on the same subject when he was on with us. Go on, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's just difficult now, and I, I had a dream, or that was my desire, was, you know, I want to race, I want to be able to do it for a living, and, and I I was very fortunate. God blessed me to with the right people, and that's key, that's huge to me, the right people. It's You can't do it by yourself. You've got to have good help. I mean... I had Harold Stout, the Skillmans, you know, it's just on and on people that have helped me, companies, you know, and you just, 
you got to have all that. And the one thing that I've always tried to be is I've tried to be humble. I mean, you, you just, like I said, this sport's not easy and you got to have people to help you. And, and to me, you know, you got to be humble, pay attention and, and don't be too proud to, to take a step backwards, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, then go back forward. It's just like when, when we ran pro stock for two years, you know, and then we decided at the end of those two years, kind of, it was kind of a mess there at the end and a little bit. And then they just kind of decided to try to do something with the Glidden's and, you know, basically uh, they didn't kick me out, uh, but they kind of Billy, that was the deal. They wanted Billy to drive, you know, and, and I mean, that was kind of a little bit, whatever, but I told Kelly, I said, Hey, I said, this ain't no big deal. Harold's still sponsoring, and it's still, uh, this is still, we're still able to race. He's going to give me everything I need to go back super class racing, you know. And and so we did. We went right back and uh, was fortunate enough to win the win the Super Cup championship that, that year, you know. And it's like, you know, so, hey, it was maybe meant to be that way. We got the opportunity to do the pro stock deal, take take a step back to go to sportsman racing, and then, you know. And I just, you know, you gotta be willing to do whatever it takes, you know, to to get to get where you need to go. Great advice, David. And so that wraps up the the questions. And I, I think I speak for Luke when I say that I think we could just sit here all night and and ask them of you because uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to your answers. But we always wrap up our interviews with what we call rapid fire. Now we're gonna give you kind of a quick. It's five questions. Just quick question. You just give us a quick answer, some racing related, maybe some not. But uh, do you think you're up for that for us? Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. I don't know if I'm up for it or not, but we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> name the celebrity that annoys you the most. Oh, crap. You Now you're getting way out on the lamb for me here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he's uh, he done Talladega Nights. <laughs> oh, oh Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell. He aggravates the crap out of me. <laughs> uh, he's, just, he's too stupid for me. <laughs> David, what is your favorite venue? The last one I won at. <laughs> Which was? <laughs> I guess uh, Vegas. <laughs> kind of partial that place myself. Yeah, you are. You ought to be. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't take personal credit for this question and i actually posed the question to our this is bracket racing elite community if you could ask david rampey anything what would you ask so i don't really know what i'm getting into here i think this is some type of inside joke but the question is how many cows do you have now how many cows mm-hmm. 18 18 cows want to elaborate or we're just gonna leave it at that <laughs> no i think we, we can uh <laughs> my dad owned a farm uh several acres and uh he passed away a couple of years ago and i i mean i was raised on the farm you know we raised cows and had chickens and chicken houses and stuff of course the chicken houses are gone but anyway a couple of years ago like i said knowing that i'm gonna stop racing sooner or later here <laughs> just started buying a few cows along and you know trying to trying to uh, you know create a little, little income other than racing and so i bought some cows over the last few years and and probably buy some more like a little later on but i 
my brother takes care of most of it, so I don't want to put too much of the burden on him. But uh, <laughs> that's that's what you know. That's one of the things which there's not a lot of money in it, but it's it's something to look look forward to doing. Maybe after I do retire from racing, is try to do a little farming, raise some cows, and you know, and happen. I think I've got like twelve calves right now on the ground, so it's kind of starting small just like i did in racing (laughs) (laughs) you you might have just answered this question but i was thinking more along the lines of of for a living but if you didn't race for a living david you'd do what i think if i could get back to the farm somehow make a living on the farm i i think i enjoy that going down i enjoy going to the farm and uh bush hogging you know maybe mending fences you know it's just it's kind of like a getaway from the racing and uh excuse me there's not anything out there to you know you don't have to be thinking of you just kind of get out there and you're at peace out on the farm and you know you you push all uh, the pasture and you look back at it and you think man that looks really good it's kind of like washing your car and cleaning it up you know <laughs> after you get done looks really good you know that's kind of the way that is you get out there and you do something and you think well it looks a lot better now and it's just <laughs> just peaceful you know I'll close this with a pretty simple question that I fear is is difficult to answer, but it's this. What single compliment do people give you the most? Well, the best compliment lately that people can give me, and I truly mean this, that that you and your wife raised a fine son, and I'm not bragging on him, and what a pleasure he is to race with. Yeah. Well, that one uh, that's that one should be because uh, Chase is a fine young man. You you guys have done a wonderful job with him. And I give most of the credit to Kelly because I wasn't at home hardly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she but, did good. But, but you know, yeah, thanks. But I, I do. I, I I really it is important to me, and I've told that to Chase. I said, son, I said, you know, you can't get out here and act all crazy and do all these things if you wanna, you know, if you wanna be somebody, if you wanna be down the road if you want to race for people or whatever you got to kind of you need to keep a, a, a good attitude you know and be respectful to people and and i've had people come up to me and tell me that and that and then that it truly mean means as much to me as anything i believe he's listened to the advice david <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking some time to join us man it's an absolute honor to have you and uh you know personally as a kid that grew up in the 70s and the 80s here in Alabama and watching what you did on a weekly basis and where you took it you, you're the guy that that a little Alabama racer kid wanted to be so it's an honor to have you again and, and just really can't thank you enough for taking some time to join us well I appreciate that and uh I'm still not too smart Luke I still try to read some of the articles you write I try to read those things because you never know when you're going to pick up something from somebody. No matter, no matter if you're, if you're, if you're good or not good, you still ain't, you're not too old to learn a little something. So I, I've always enjoyed that too. You answered my last question. That is the most humbling compliment I've received in a long time. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, David. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> well, no problem. No problem. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on there. Like I said, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun to sit down and talk about racing and things like that. And, uh, I, I enjoy it. Like I said, I, I don't know if I help a lot of people or anything like that, but I, I do enjoy talking about it and, and doing things like that. I think it's safe to say that you have inspired more within our sport than you will ever know, Mr. Rampy. Yeah. No well, I pre- appreciate that for sure. <laughs> All right, David. Hope you have a great night there in Piedmont, Alabama. All right. Sounds good. And I appreciate you guys. And we'll 
see y'all maybe somewhere in a few weeks or a month or so. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Big Jid, the year 2018 has more big dollar bracket events than ever, and those events feature bigger purses than ever. More racers than ever will win life-changing money and be lauded by the Sportsman Drag Racing community this podcast, in 2018. The opportunities presented to the big dollar bracket racer, whether touring or regional, this season are unprecedented. What does that mean? It means that it's time to take advantage of the opportunity by turning over every rock that you can. Pay attention to every detail. And that's what This Is Bracket Racing Elite is all about. Look, if you've entered some of these events, you're serious about racing, and you're pretty dang good at it. You don't need a 180-degree turnaround in your racing. But a simple 1-degree, 2-degree course correction could make all the difference and give you the edge that could prove to be worth thousands of dollars. This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide that. We've done so for hundreds of racers just like you. Learn more by visiting thisisbracketracing.com. Hello, even Tom Brady goes to practice every day. Guys, if it's time to upgrade your support equipment, be it trailer or RV, check out racingrvs.com or give Joe Fisher a call at 419-236-1328. Why racing RVs? Well, for one, they support sportsman drag racing like no other. Racing RVs is the presenting sponsor of the NHRA's top dragster and top sportsman categories. They're heavily involved in all of the SFG events. Uh, They sponsor a number of successful sportsman racers. And, of course, they presented nearly every episode of this podcast. But what can racing RVs do for you? Well, they've got quality coaches and trailers at fair prices. You can get them new or used. Trade-ins, financing, consignment, nationwide delivery, no matter your need, Racing RVs should be your first phone call. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. And if you want to be a champ, take double O. Be double O. Take double O. Be double O. Take double O. Honey. Where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! What's on Tap is presented by the AHRA. Guys, currently, the AHRA has issued a $10,000 bounty for anyone that is an AHRA member and wins super gas at the 2018 Winter Nationals at Pomona without the aid of electronics. That's right, doing it old school. To find out more about the bounty or other exciting happenings with the AHRA, such as their stock sale or their GT classes, check out www.ahraonline.com or look them up on Facebook. 
Yeah, and we've got a few happenings this week drummed up uh, here in the in the midst of the off season. A couple of notes from Britton Galen at the Great American Bracket Race and the Dream Team Weekend. As we've said before, the the Dream Team event uh, Memorial Day weekend at Memphis International Raceway, guaranteed ten twenty ten on the top. They're going to release a complete flyer uh, in the coming week, so look for that on Facebook and throughout the uh, I guess on the Great American Bracket Race. Facebook page is the best way to get that. And I uh, also heard from Britt that they are implementing a text message system for both races, which, uh, Jed, you and I can both attest, that comes in very handy these days. Yes, it does. That's the new thing, and it's very popular. And, you know, this Dream Team race is getting a lot of traction. I'm, I'm seeing these teams popping up. I actually just got asked to be on a footbrake team, which somebody must have totally ran out of options. But it's <laughs> going to be a good time. Looking forward to it. And uh, we heard from a little birdie that if time permits at either race, uh, possibly a top 25 race could break out to help uh, solidify those top 25 rankings that we've been discussing. So Britt and Galen right on the cutting edge again of, of doing something that hasn't been done. I really like the trend that we're establishing here. We just come up with these crazy off-the-wall ideas, <laughs> and then somebody like Britt and Galen does all the work and makes it a reality. I, I like it. <laughs> it is a good time. Luke, uh, one other thing we want to make note of is uh, just saw an announcement uh, out of uh, Greg Miller and the guys at Keystone Raceway Park that uh, they are introducing their Sniper Series. In a world of huge big buck bracket races seemingly every weekend, Greg Miller and the guys at Keystone wanted to try to put something together for their local races uh, on a smaller scale, but really, really nice payout. They got a four-race series paying $1,000 on Friday. 5k on saturday and 2500 on sunday with a 150 dollar entry uh, there's going to be 64 car shootouts for 5k on saturday evenings it's all eighth mile racing there's a race in april a race in june a race in august and a race in september so really cool to see uh, that part of the sport still thriving and and people that own racetracks trying to do something for their racers and the people in their area no, I really think that there is a great opportunity, almost nationwide, for events of this nature. Like in this market, and, and our show for the better part of 2018 will be dominated by these mega dollar events, these twenty-five, fifty, one hundred thousand dollars to win events. But between the growth and the popularity of those races, and the demise is probably a strong word, but the the seeming lack of interest maybe not completely nationwide but of local bracket racing in general this is that middle niche that i think makes a lot of sense we saw jed jed we saw bones and andy kind of take advantage of this with their series yeah. at huntsville the, the drive for five format similar idea to this and i see these popping up i mean local five granders are nothing new but making them a multi-day event very affordable entry fee just kind of a fun weekend with this pretty significant prize still at the top I really think that there is a, a, a huge market for races like this to have success. Uh, obviously, Keystone taking advantage of that, but I think there are a lot of places that something like this could work, and I'd look to see a lot of that in the future, to be honest. I agree 100%. And um, again, that's Keystone Raceway Park in New Alexandria, Pennsylvania, which is formerly known as Pittsburgh Raceway Park. So to all the people that uh, have access to that facility, um, it's going to be a great series, and we are eagerly uh, anticipating the results from uh, how it goes for Greg Miller and the folks there at Keystone. So, Luke, that wraps us up. This episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast has come to an end. I definitely want to say thanks to our sponsors, 
our guest, David Rampey. Really wonderful interview there. Enjoyed that a whole lot. And I know you did as well. And um, the people that, that bring the podcast to you, Seabird Performance, the AHRA, Racing RVs, and this is Bracket Racing Elite. Uh, appreciate those guys as well. So we yeah. definitely want our listeners to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say we, we could have left the microphone on and just listened to David Rampey talk for hours on Man. end. That, uh, that you, we, I think we could have had the first two and a half hour Sportsman Drag Racing podcast and no one would have complained <laughs> with the possible exception of David Rampey. So. They would only ask for more. Uh, so, and guys speaking, asking for more, please tell us what you think uh, about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We love the feedback. Even when you're tearing us up about a top 25 list, it really wasn't even ours, but we love it. So keep it coming. Message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. That's easy to find. Or you can uh, check both Luke and I out at Twitter. Uh, reach out to us there. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. And I am at JP11X. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jared Pennington. Towers in my truck. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>